You're listening to an SBS News podcast. Maureen Faruqi arrived in Australia from Pakistan in 1992 and just over a decade later entered New South Wales politics, becoming the first Muslim woman ever to sit in an Australian parliament. In 2018, she was elected to the Federal Senate. Now Deputy Greens leader, she's challenged the status quo and in her own words, rocked the boat of politics, opening the door for other young men and women like her. This podcast celebrates the most diverse parliament Australia has seen and explores the long and tough path it's taken for many to change the tide. I'm political reporter Krishani Danji, and on this episode of Our House, Maureen Faruqi tells us about the loneliness of being a multicultural woman in the chamber, the difficulty of being forced to give up her birth citizenship, and how she hopes to inspire others. Congratulations on your election as Deputy Leader of the Greens. You're now the most senior, culturally diverse member of a party. How does that feel? Firstly, it's lovely to be here talking with you. I'm firstly extremely honoured that I got the unanimous support of my colleagues to take up this um, leadership role within the Greens. Um, And I'm also very excited that our leadership team has made history. We've got majority women. For the first time, we've got the First Nations woman in the leadership team, as well as um, the first migrant Muslim woman. Um, And while it's a complete honour, I'm thrilled with it as well. Uh, I have had so many uh, people contact me, and especially young women of colour, who have written to me and said that before I got into politics and now that I have this position, they could never have thought that they could be in places like that, which are so completely whitewashed. Um, It does make a difference because I had no role models uh, when I took my first step into politics. And, you know, it's been hard. It's been tough. It's been... A bit lonely as well, being in that world where there is literally no one like you. Uh, but, you know, we um, are supported by our colleagues, not, not just because we are diverse, uh, but because they can also see that we have the capacity and the capability to do that role. And we always have. Uh, but we have been treated for many years as second class citizens. So to be really frank, it is high time that in all political parties, leadership reflects the people that live um, in our community and in our society. And what do you think you'll do differently in the role? Just being me, I think, is quite different. It Just being me in Parliament is kind of a sign of dissent, I guess. <laughs> but I do bring a very different perspective into how decisions will be made. Um, I grew up a world away in Pakistan. I migrated here in my 20s. I had no networks, no connections. So I came as an outsider into politics. I have a 25-year career in engineering. And so my worldview is very different to most of the people uh, within Parliament. I say it as it is. And that's made my journey a bit difficult because I think no one wants the boat rocked. People just want to keep doing things that they have been doing. But in Australia, we do need the boat to be rocked. Um, During the pandemic, the stark reality that came in front of us was how migrants were treated, um, how people on temporary visas were left high and dry, how international students got no support at all, how there was different treatment of communities in Western Sydney, where there are mostly multicultural people living, how they were treated so differently to other communities which were privileged and white. 
Um, and for me, that is the perspective that I bring. Those are the voices that I bring into Parliament. Just on that, can I ask, do you think the Greens is doing enough to engage with culturally diverse and uh, and migrant communities? Often the Greens are seen as a sort of more uh, wealthy, elitist party that attracts those kinds of voters. Is that changing? Well, the Greens did attract me um, and I basically was attracted to the Greens because of their policies, not just on climate and environment, but social justice um, and the Greens' propensity and the courage to stand up for communities of colour, for First Nations people. But yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, we have much more work to do. Every single political party in this country has much more work to do. I have seen, very frustratingly, the two major parties uh, court migrant communities, multicultural communities, for voting blocks for years, use us as photo opportunities at our, you know, festivals like Diwali and Eid and Visaki but then do nothing to address the issues that really impact our communities, which are worker exploitation, discrimination, and racism. Um, So every single party needs to do more. The Greens are really changing in terms of um, how many people of colour are now in the party. Uh, We have two First Nations women as my colleagues in the Senate, and I'm so proud to work alongside them. But there is much more work to be done in the political arena by every single party to make sure that our parliaments and our decision-making spaces within the party represent um, the beautiful multicultural diversity that lives on our streets and suburbs. Is that something that is a priority for you in terms of reaching out and engaging with those migrant multicultural communities? Reaching out and engaging with my migrant multicultural communities has been my topmost priority from the day that I stepped into New South Wales Parliament. Uh, we have looked at all our work within my office with that lens of making sure that we eliminate the society of racism, of discrimination, which you know most people of colour, let's face it, come across in this country. Um, and you know, especially engaging with young people um, and young women of colour, because we know that women of colour, and especially Muslim women, do face disproportionate amounts of discrimination. And the barriers that are placed in front of us, whether it's in employment or in, uh, in senior roles or in politics, are much worse than anyone else in this country. And if I leave one legacy, that would be to make sure that that doors that have been so tightly shut to us. Um, I hope I can break them down, but even if I open that door a little bit more ajar, then I think my work would have been done. We now have the most diverse parliament in history in Australia. But what difference do you think that that could make within the short term? While you're very senior within the party, a lot of the newcomers that are from diverse backgrounds are going to be backbenchers. How much impact can they make? I do think that people have voted for this parliament, which is so diverse in so many ways, because they think it is much more democratic to have this representation. And I think it is incumbent upon us to work with each other because that's the mandate the public has given us at this election. Um, I think I've been a backbencher for many years. You can have an influence from any part of the bench, to be really frank, and you can have an influence within your political party. You have a right as a senator and a member of parliament to speak out 
on any piece of legislation. It is a really privileged platform that we have. There are only 76 senators in Australia. Um, and I hope that the newcomers will use that platform to you know, to project their communities and to fight for their communities, to fight for injustices wherever they might exist. Now, to become a member of Parliament, you had to renounce your citizenship under Section 44. How did that make you feel? And do you think that that regulation is now, that law is now outdated? What I felt after I had filled out that form to renounce my citizenship of Pakistan was really incredibly different to what I thought I would feel. I thought it would just be like an administrative thing. But as I was filling out that form, writing out the history of my family, you have to talk about your parents and your grandparents. I just felt as if I was being forced to give up my birthright, um, you know, to give up my history and my culture. So I actually filled out the form, I signed it and I put it in my drawer. It was that hard for me to actually submit that form. And I think no one should have to go through that. There is absolutely no reason to have this particular law in our constitution. Section 44 has to go uh, because, you know, it actually restricts people from participating in democracy. And you've spoken a lot about Islamophobia getting worse, particularly after the Christchurch attacks. Why do you think that is? This country, basically, for the last 200 years or so, has been built upon dispossession and a violent dispossession of First Nations people, and that racism and that discrimination hasn't really stopped. And that is the crux of where racism in Australia exists. Unless we acknowledge that truth and do something about it, I think it will be very hard um, to get rid of racism. And in Parliament, you know, I see that as well. The complete, I guess you can call it ignorance, but you can also call it willful disregard for what is happening in this country. And that's where Islamophobia comes from as well. But it is extremely concerning, the rise of Islamophobia. It is, we saw the third report of the Islamophobia Register, which tells us that after the horrific killings of 51 people in Christchurch, Uh, Islamophobia actually increased. You would have thought that people would think with such a horrendous act against innocent people that there would be a bit more consideration. I feel, and you know, I've come to this judgment um, after living in Australia for 30 years, that some of us are seen by some people as not Australian because we're different, because we might dress differently. Um, We are, our Australianness is conditional. It really is conditional on us kind of giving up our culture and identity and assimilating. It is conditional on us keeping our head down and our mouths shut and just keep working. You're a fantastic migrant because you contribute so much to the economy, but not so much when you actually, um, you know, put your head up and um, participate in debates that are happening. So there is so much work to be done there as well. And a lot of that work has to be done through political leadership because that is one place where racism has become normalized. I mean, I've sat in that Senate for three years and seen uh, speeches from, you know, Fraser Anning, the former senator, One Nation senators like Pauline Hanson, and even mainstream politicians who either dog whistle or stand on the sidelines and don't call it out. Unless we do that, 
it'll be hard for things to change. And, you know, I will keep pushing and calling it out. Um, I'm hoping that with the new parliament, things will start to change. But things only change when people really hanker for it. Who's sitting on the sidelines here? Who's not calling out racism as they should be? I think most parliamentarians in big major parties. I mean, when, when I talk about racism in parliament, often from the government side, and this is the previous government I'm talking about, the Liberals, I was being heckled as if it doesn't exist. Um, so it's not just even not calling out. It is actually trying to um, deny it and gaslight you by telling you that you're being divisive. Um, just raising the issue of racism. Look at our um, policies on asylum seekers. That's Those policies have the support of both the major parties. And again, you cannot deny that those policies stem from racism. racism. Who's been heckling you? There's been quite a few. I won't name them, but it is from the benches of the uh, Liberal National Party that that heckling comes whenever you try and raise the issue of racism or the visceral interaction of racism and sexism. Have you ever been made to feel really uncomfortable or experienced bullying in Parliament? For me, being a Muslim migrant woman has been a pretty lonely time. And that's why I'm looking forward to these new parliamentarians who are coming in. I think I won't be alone anymore, and that makes me really happy. Um, I have been... Sorry, let me think about it a little bit. <laughs> it is a bit difficult to talk about these things. Okay. In a book that I recently published, uh, which is a memoir and a manifesto, I go quite deeply into how I feel in Parliament, uh, which is a space which obviously drips in white male privilege. Um, But also um, because often, you know, you are bypassed. You're just not visible to many people. I have experienced people going to talk to my colleagues about, you know, decisions that are within my portfolios, for instance, because they might find it easier to talk to another white person um, than a brown woman. I have been in spaces where people, this is again a parliamentarian who has told me, who couldn't pronounce my name and then told me that we should have simple names. And that is just the start of it. Mm. So you could call it um, bullying, harassment or being othered, uh, but it exists and it happens every single day. You've said that it took you about a decade to find your feet after you moved to Australia with your husband and your son. A lot of people in Australia now are in the same position that you faced then. What more can we do to help them? I actually think people who come to Australia now are in a worse position than I was. Because when we came, there were more support from the government to help people settle in. It was still not enough, but it was much more than it is today. So we need governments to make sure that people who come in are supported to find employment, housing, Um, you know, are supported to find their feet much quicker than 10 years so they can participate in our politics and in our society as they deserve to and as they have a right to. Senator Fruki, thank you so much for joining me. It's such a pleasure talking with you. Thank you. 
Our House is a podcast series for SBS News and interviews politicians from multicultural backgrounds who are changing the face and culture of Parliament. Join me, Krishani Danji, next week for more. Why do people want to be at work? To feel heard, appreciated, part of something, and to know there's a career path for everyone. Inclusive workplaces are linked to increased innovation, productivity, and employee satisfaction. Make your organisation a place where people want to be. For inclusion and diversity training, visit inclusion-program.com.au.